welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I am really looking forward to today because um, it is going to be very entertaining and with everything going on in the world, we need some entertainment, some uh, chuckles. And um, my guest is certainly one who can tell us about um, his stories that indeed are very entertaining. In fact, today's show is called Attorney Entertains Us with Crazy Stories from the Courtroom. Um, my guest uh, is uh, has written a book called The Fuzzy Pink Bathrobe and Other Tales of the Law. So that gives you an idea <laughs> of what's ahead. Um, he is going to be telling you things that n- not um, not revealing client personal information, of course, um, you know, with their name and everything, but telling you stories of things that he actually experienced in his long and varied uh, career as a an attorney now he has been um an attorney in in um numerous different kinds of courtrooms uh here we go from um regular courtrooms to military courtrooms uh, appeals courts district courts uh supreme courts and he's won lots of honors and medals and um he is uh Currently, he got his JD degree, Doctor of Jurisprudence, from Syracuse University. He specializes. Well, he, he's done a lot of child abuse and custody cases, but he's actually done a lot of other kinds of cases as well, which I will let him tell you about. Um, be it <laughs> the the uh, conclusion of all that is that he has pretty much seen it all, or if not all, then a lot. So um my so my guest is JD Mortmain. Now that is a as you might suspect that is a pen name uh to further hide the identity of his former clients um which you can respect. So we're going to be talking about all kinds of cases like um, parental alienation cases, a psychologist who flunks his own mental status exam, oppositional defiant disorder, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, and many other cases as well. And um, again, as I said, um, we, this is, we, this is uh, a, a nice relief from from well, actually, what I like about this, you know, as a forensic psychiatrist myself, let me remind uh, my listeners, or perhaps people who are tuning in for the first time, that I am a forensic psychiatrist and an expert r- witness at trials, and the author of a column called "Inside the Criminal Mind" in Front Page Detectives, and I have been doing this for over twenty years, and I have had my share of. Uh, <laughs> of interesting cases and, and courtroom antics and so on. Um, but which is, uh, I particularly like uh, the cases that JD um, talks about in his book, 
that relate to psychologists or psychiatrists. Uh, obviously, JD, you have not had <laughs> um, a good uh, good experiences with them. Um, so, but before we get into all of that, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And um, I would like to start with, you know, I, I always ask people, regardless of what topic they're going to be talking about, I always ask them about um, how they got to this point, like why they wrote a book, a certain book, or why why they um, uh, have been working in a certain career. And I noticed in your CV that you started as a claims adjuster, an insurance claims adjuster. So I think that's interesting how you ultimately became an attorney and a, an attorney in all these different kinds of courtrooms. So could you start by telling us about that? Well, the claims adjustment, uh, I graduated from law school, took the bar, and then I was going to be unemployed until I had to report for a military duty. So the claims company was the only buddy that would hire me. And so that's why I became a claims adjuster. Yes, that is kind of a thankless. <laughs> I, you know, I used to do for a few years back in the 90s, I used to do a um, um claims what do you call it workman's compensation claims mm -hmm. um you know it was fun to do well, the first year i did it on the side of the workers who would talk about how stressed they are at their various jobs and most of the time 99 percent of the time you know it was um it was they were exaggerating very uh, tremendously and i felt like saying it was always hard to not say to them um, really? You think your job is stressful? <laughs> and then, so I couldn't do that anymore. I, I couldn't listen to these things anymore and be expected to write a report, you know, verifying what they're saying. And so in, for the next two years, I did um, uh, defense and I felt a lot more comfortable, you know, tearing up what they're saying than, than endorsing it. So I've worked with claims adjusters, you know, during those three years. And uh, it is a very uh it's not i was gonna say tiresome a very sort of repetitive right you're arguing with people all the time it's 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 a thankless job yes one thing i learned about uh claims adjusting though is you can make the value of money varies with what time of year it is in other words if you can make an offer of settlement to a lawyer that you know is going to be filing a tax return or an estimated taxes, he will be more likely to accept the offer than to diddle around, if, especially if it's in a cash flow situation. Uh-huh. You mean he would want to seem like he made more money? He would want to get enough money to pay the estimated taxes oh, oh, the oh. tax return. Yes, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> um. Okay. So, okay. So how did you go from there? Then you went into the army and well, then, and then what? Well, I went in the army as a uh, second Lieutenant infantry school. And then I transferred to JAG, the judge advocate general corps. And then I spent three years with them. And then I went out to on private practice to my, for myself. Uh, you asked me how I came about writing the book. The fact was that every time I had an interesting story, I said, gee, I'd like to tell people about that. Yeah. And after practicing 55 years or so, I came up with a collection of incredibly interesting stories. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and as you know, there's a, a big element in divorce cases that involve forensic psychiatry. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to be up on the literature on that. You have to know what the questions you're going to ask. And uh, it's a very interesting part of my practice. Yes, I've done a, a number of um, uh, divorce and custody cases. Um, th that's when emotions run really high, you know, between the two people, fight, especially fighting for custody. So why don't you start with um, why don't you start with one of the cases um, that you had mentioned in? Okay, the one I like best is Private Hicks. It's sort of a long story, but it's an interesting story, and it's about how the psychologist flunked his own exam. So anyway, uh, I am my commanding officer says Keith says Mortmain, I want you to uh, represent Hicks in a medical disability hearing to find out whether he is permanently disabled and is entitled to a, a pension or whether there's nothing wrong with him. So I go over and look at his medical records and it says that Private Hicks was a wire layer in Korea and suffered a partial traumatic amputation of the brain when he was hit with shrapnel that took some of his head away. Uh, so I, when I put the drawer in, I said, well, this ought to be a no-brainer. Literally. Literally. <laughs> and figuratively. <laughs> so I agreed to meet him at 5 o'clock on uh, Friday. And he comes in. I, his records also says he's an alcoholic. And I, I say, gee, this guy doesn't have much of a life ahead of him. Yeah. He comes into my office and he is, first of all, he snaps a salute uh, as a soldier of the month would slap. Uh, he, I introduce him myself and I explain what the hearing is about. And then I say, tell me about your life up in Maine. And he says, well, there are two movie theaters in Maine. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy is dizzy. I mean, what's? I asked him about his life, and he's telling me about movie theaters. And then he says, and I have two girlfriends, neither of whom know about the other one. One comes in every Thursday, cleans my apartment, does my laundry, washes, cooks me a meal, and I take her to one of the theaters. And the other one comes in on Sunday, and I do the same thing with the second girl. So I'm thinking to myself, if this is the definition of insanity, I wish I were that insane. Uh -huh. So anyway, um, I ask him what he likes to do. And he says, I like to read. He says, I have the biggest library in town, larger than the town library. And he says, I like to play chess, but there's only one person in the county that makes it interesting. So... Uh, I then ask him about his drinking. He says, I'm not drunk, I'm not an alcoholic. He says, uh, the first uh, visit to, uh, for my annual medical exam, I was hung over because my sister had gotten, was getting married and I uh, got drunk at one of the parties. The second one, uh, I had gone down to meet a, 
to, to get my VA exam in Boston. And I met a guy I had known in Korea that I thought was dead and he thought I was dead. So we went drinking. And the third one, I went to an Irish wake and I got drunk there. And the fifth, fourth and fifth, the doctor didn't even examine me or ask me about it. So, uh, but anyway, as he came to report, I noticed that he, his shoes were spit shined, his trousers were creased, but his fly was open. And then I looked up, he had a clean blouse on. I looked at his face and he was unshaven. And I'm saying, he's, you know, I'm trying to figure out, is he a skid row bum with the fly open and the unshaven? Or is it the soldier of the month? So first thing he says, I broke my zipper. I've got to get that fixed. And I need a shave. I lost my shaving gear when I changed buses in Boston. So, uh, and then I also ask him, if he needs extra money, what does he do? He says, I sign up on a lobster fisherman, uh, help him out hauling traps. So my conclusion is that he is pretty, pretty well organized. But he also says one thing. He says, I want to re-up. I want you to prove that there's nothing wrong with me because I want to re-up. Now, my thought is that two things. First of all, if he is saying I should do what he tells me to do. But if he's not saying I should do what's best for him. And then I asked, who am I to decide whether he's sane or insane? I didn't go to medical school. I don't have a PhD in psychology. So I, I'm sort of aghast at what I should do. But anyway, Monday morning, he meets me. Fort J has swinging doors on the courtroom. We go through those doors. We go in. We're introduced by a mate, by a Colonel White. And he explains what the hearing is about and so on. And all of a sudden, he is rudely interrupted by Major Mike, the Army psychiatrist. Colonel, if you'll permit me, I can very quickly determine the mental status of this soldier just by asking a few questions. The Colonel, being a polished, uh, and you don't get to be a Colonel without a certain amount of diplomacy, says, Go on, Major. Private, I'm going to tell you a proverb. Tell me what it means, if you can. And he's very derisive in his heart, in his statement. Private Hicks says, yes, sir. He says, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And Hicks immediately says, don't count your chickens before they hatch. And all of a sudden, I make the connection between these two sayings. Uh -huh. And I think that's genius. So the major doesn't quite understand the answer. So he says, let me ask you another one. A stitch in time saves nine. And Hicks, without hesitation, says a, um, a pound of prevention, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And Major Mike doesn't understand the answer. I don't think he understood the question. So there's an embarrassing silence. And he says, well, uh, Hicks says, or 
for want of a nail, the horse was lost. Reciting that old saying, you know, with a horse lost his shoe and stumbled and broke his leg and had to be put down. So then is a question of, uh, I'm now in the game. The major's going to ask a question, which he won't understand the answer to. Hicks will answer it. And maybe I can beat my client in answering the question, in my mind anyway. Says, uh, next question is, all that glitters is not gold. And Major and uh, Private Hicks says, don't but judge a book by its cover. And uh, I have lost that one. Hicks is right on. So then the Major says, mighty acorns from small trees, from large trees grow. And I can't think of anything like that, but Hicks says, mighty rivers from small streams flow. And I'd never heard of that, but boy, that was right on, on the mark. So every, so every proverb that the uh, psychologist was giving him, he was answering, to, explaining that he does know what it means by answering it with another proverb. Yes. Well, we only with this. We're going to have to leave people on a on a uh, on a cliffhanger here because we only have a minute left, and I know that the um, that it takes a little longer to finish the story. So when we come back, <laughs> okay, tell the uh, tell us the end of this story. Yes, I will. <laughs> okay, um, my guest is J.D. Mort Mortmain. We're talking today about attorney entertains us with crazy stories from the courtroom, and there will be more. So stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today with J.D. Mortimer. He is an attorney with many years and, and has, of experience in many different courtrooms and different cases. And we were just talking about a case of uh, Private Hicks, who, um, and I've had um, cases like this, actually, where um, not exactly like what you're describing, not, not as funny, not in terms of the uh, proverbs, but where people um, have been injured in, um, in the military, and they are put on some percentage of um, disability, and are given a, an equivalent amount of money for whatever the percentage is for their disability. And um, and so, and then sometimes they're asked to be checked again, that the military wants to check them again to see if they still have that much, that percent, higher percentage, or whether they can pay them less money. Um, so you were telling the story of Private Hicks, who... Um, where the psychologist was asking him, which is a typical thing that one does in cases, in all kinds of cases, when you're doing a mental status exam, part of the exam is proverbs. You know, that's just one small part, but you present the patient with, or the client, or, you know, the person involved in the case with a bunch of um, proverbs, and you see, you ask them to interpret them. And uh, you see from how they, sometimes they have no clue. Um, so, you know, what's interesting is that these days when I do that with the typical kinds of proverbs that you've been mentioning in your case, um, these days a lot of people haven't heard those proverbs. You know, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. To burden the hand is worth two in the bush. All of these things that, you know, used to be very common proverbs. Now it's like um, a lot of the people, whether they're whether they're sane or insane or, you know, whatever their issue is, if they even have an issue, um, they have never heard of the proverb. So why don't you continue with this story? Okay, just to wrap it up, uh, the next question was, don't cry over spilled milk. And Hicks couldn't think of a, a, a proverb that answers that. So we told the story verbatim about where the book was published or the names of the farmer, the daughter, the cow, the cat, and so on. Uh, anyway, they asked him a few questions about his alcoholism or his uh, claimed alcoholism. Uh, we were excused and we went walking through the courtroom back to these doors, the swinging doors. And he turned to me and says, well, that's water over the dam which was a, a very similar to don't cry over spilled milk. <laughs> yeah. uh, to my uh, happiness, they found that he was totally incompetent and he would get his pension. Yes, because I mean, the key there, but you know, this is what happens with uh, some psychiatrists or psychologists, like they miss the point. Um, 
you know, the, the psychologist was asking him all these proverbs, which he was answering better than the psychologist. But um, but the key point was if he thought that he wanted to be found um, uh, not disabled, which would mean that he'd lose all his money that he gets from the military, when he wanted to be found not disabled anyway, because he wanted to join the military, rejoin the military, that is the clue. The that's all you kind of have to know that that he wasn't saying that he wasn't that because you know as you were describing um, that he he really didn't have the capacity to um, to fight in the military. The military wouldn't have taken him again with all these injuries. So that showed that he wasn't in touch with reality. All right. Correct. <laughs> Um, are you still practicing or have you retired? No, I've retired. No. Did you find, though, towards the end of when you were practicing that um, that people didn't know these proverbs that used to be very common? Uh, we never got into it with my younger clients. So and my older clients always would know that. So. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's okay. Specific. okay so it's a- tell us another one. Okay, um, there's one called parental alienation, uh, and perhaps you could explain what that is, and then I'll take the story up from there. Okay, parental alienation is something that um, one or the other parent brings up uh, from time to time, fairly often actually, in custody cases. When one parent is trying to get more custody or full custody or um and they they try to say that the other parent has been telling the child bad things about them alienating them and making them so that they don't want to come to the other parent's house now sometimes it that does happen but a lot of times um it really it really isn't true um and you know it's just it's just a, a tactic that parents or really their lawyers kind of suggest is what to use you know to get to get custody away from the other parent and it was um it was something created by a man called gardner and um he has been um debunked you know the theory has been debunked and yet it still keeps coming up to this day in um a lot of um of custody cases okay all right so anyway my client comes to me and says gee i don't know what's going on my kid is 13. uh we always had a great relationship i take him fishing and hunting and so on and all of a sudden he doesn't want to visit me i don't understand it so i said well there's a court order he's supposed to visit you we'll file a motion for contempt and bring your ex-wife before the court and let the court decide what to do. So uh, we agree, we file a motion, we get into court and his son is sitting two rows in front of us and one row over and the kid has kept uh, looking back at his father as if he was, you know, lovers do that when they're interested in a relationship. And I, I felt that this kid really liked his father, even though the mother said he didn't. Uh, it was going a long time, so we went out to lunch with the, the father's, with the 
mother's permission and her attorney's permission, we got to take the kid to lunch. So I asked the kid, do you know why you were here? Yes. Why is that? Because I don't want to visit my father. And why don't you want to visit him? Because he makes me do bad things. I said, like what? Like clean up my room or not ride my bicycle in the street. And I said, that doesn't sound right. Uh, what if the judge were to say, hey, every time your mom misses a visitation for you, she has to pay $5. What do you think about that? And the kid says, she can pay. And I said, well, it's $10. She can pay. What if it's $100? I'll go. So it was obvious that he was trying to filter his relationship through his mother's eyes, not his own eyes. So we go into court. Dad testifies, basically, as I said. And then Dad takes a stand and he testifies as to how he always enjoyed his son and doesn't know what happened. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the hearing, the judge says, okay, I've heard enough. No, he, first of all, the judge says, sir, do you have a toilet? And the guy says, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, what does that have to do with this? He said, would you let anybody use it? My client says, yeah. He says, would you let your wife use it? My client says, sure. Uh, then the judge says, okay, I've heard enough. And uh, he's, I'm going to issue my opinion right now. He says, Mom, I agree, agree with everything you've said, that the child doesn't want to visit the father, and I should not make him. But he's a kid. He might change his mind. And I think he ought to be able to change his mind. So I'm ordering you, Mom, to drive over to Dad's house with the child, and then you wait there for eight hours, just in case the kid changes his mind. Pack a lunch. If you need to use for the facilities, you've heard your ex-husband, you can use his. And uh, that's my order. So we left court. On Saturday, Dad, uh, mom drives the kid over. Kid gets out of the car, goes in, has a good day with his father. Mom, by the way, isn't going to hang around and uh, comes back and picks them up. And that's the end of the story. Yeah, that's a very clever, um, very clever judge, very clever order. And yes, in that case, and, and there are, you know, there are some cases where it is true, like in this case, the parental alienation, where uh, where one parent just makes it so impossible for the other parent to see the child. Um, you know, it's really about the one parent wanting to punish the other for some reason, like if uh, they had an affair or if um, just, or they have a new boyfriend or um, just some, some reason that they want to punish the other parent and they do it with the kid, which is so sad, um, you know, to, to withhold the child because the child gets the worst of it. Yeah. All right. What and, else? And often what we have is the theme from Chicago. He had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that dad doesn't deserve custody or visitation because he had it coming. Yes, yes.
All right. What about the Munchausen syndrome? Uh, that was a fascinating case, uh, only because uh, I was uh, enlightened when I saw the medical records. Basically, my client comes waddling in. She is about five feet, one inch tall. She weighs about 280 pounds, grossly overweight, and says, they've taken my child away because my child is malnourished. And uh, so I asked for her to tell me more. She said, well, uh, my child is only on a 10% of the standardization scales for weight. Um, I had to measure her food, which I, I did. Uh, she, my child didn't gain weight. She uh, said that uh, she couldn't understand it. They went to one psychologist or who said that she had Munchausen by syndrome, Munchausen syndrome by syndrome. By proxy. Munchausen. By proxy, I mean. Uh, so I asked her, she brought a, a suitcase of medical bill, medical statements and so on. So I asked her to leave them while I reviewed them. I went over them and uh, Apparently, the, uh, this child had been suffering for about a year from malnutrition. And no matter what they tried, they couldn't get her to put on weight. And they did all sorts of medical tests and so on. Finally, they put her in the hospital. And they decided, you know, they have dietitians there that they would measure the food and the caloric intake and, and make sure was, she was getting well fed. Uh, they'd leave the food off, come back to pick up the empty trays, and they couldn't understand why the child was not gaining weight. And then I saw the final medical report. The hospital had put a hidden camera in the room. And when the food was served, mom would immediately grab the food off the tray and eat it herself. And that was the reason why the child was not gaining weight, a question of avarice. You know, it's so funny, though, that, um, that the hospital uh, let the mother be in with the child when they serve the food. You know, I, I don't know why they didn't, like, think to themselves. I mean, that, that would not be a way to make sure that um, it wasn't that the mother wasn't eating any, you know, you would have to keep the mother out um, to make sure that she wasn't. But uh, Munchausen's by proxy is very interesting. What it means or what the syndrome is, is where a parent, usually a mother, um, doesn't want, uh, wants to have the attention of, of people you know, wants to be seen as like the perfect mother. And um, it's a very, you know, it's a very serious disorder. And, and there's a fair number. Uh, this isn't super rare. There's a there, there was a, a famous Lifetime movie about this, an example um, of one of the cases. But it's the it's where the mother um, takes the child from one doctor to another 
and claims to be uh, fearful of the child dying or upset about the child having whatever it is that they claim that the child has or the child gets diagnosed as having, when really the mother is causing the um, the illness or disorder by doing something. In this case, she's taking, even when they were home, obviously, um, that she was eating the child's food, which is why she was getting ever fatter and the child was getting or staying skinny um, or even, you know, failure to thrive, really. Um, and so it, it, they're sometimes tricky to discover because sometimes mothers inject their children with things or they um, they put certain things in the child's food all for the purpose of having the child be diagnosed as having some kind of medical problem. And then the mother looks like an angel, a hero, by taking care of the child. There was one you know, the famous case that I'm talking about. I can't remember the name of the, um, of the girl, the child, um, but it was where the mother didn't want the child to have a boyfriend, didn't want the child to leave her. And so as she has had gotten to become a teenager uh, or in her early 20s or something, and, that, and she met a guy over the Internet and she wanted to, you know, go out with him. And um, and so the mother wanted to keep her sick and keep her at home, uh, having to take care of her. The child was in a in a wheelchair and all that, you know, really debilitating illnesses. And then, of course, it was finally discovered that the mother was doing something, giving her something um to uh, to 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 simulate these illnesses and when that was discovered and and the child was put in the hospital and taken away from the mother and all that then surprise surprise she got better well we're coming up on another break when we come back um we will have more stories from my guest jd mortmain again his book is called um the fuzzy pink bathrobe and other tales of the law. I guess you're going to have to tell us about the fuzzy pink bathrobe. Let's start with that when you come back. Okay. <laughs> you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about attorney entertains us with crazy stories from the courtroom. And we're going to be hearing some more. Um, My guest is J.D. Mortmain. And his book, again, is called The Fuzzy Pink Bathrobe and Other Tales of the Law. So tell us about The Fuzzy Pink Bathrobe. Okay, that was a case in which uh, my client calls up and says that he wrote a check for a Boston whaler, which is an expensive boat, and the check bounced, and he couldn't understand why, and wanted to talk to me about that. Well, when he got home to ask his wife about it, his wife had disappeared and the children had gone with his wife. Rummaging through the papers, he found that the bank had foreclosed the mortgage that she was supposed to be paying. And he didn't know about it. And uh, the sheriff had served the wife, both his copy and her copy, and she failed to turn it over to him. So, uh, that is the premise of this story about the fuzzy pink bathrobe, about how the sheriff serves an imposter who is pretending to be the wife. They hire a, an attorney who doesn't really know the client because all he's interested is in the fee. They work out an agreement where the husband gets everything and the wife gets a very small pittance, but the husband even gets custody. So the question is, how is Mortmain going to resolve that problem, especially because everybody knows the sheriff wouldn't lie, the lawyer wouldn't lie, the wife's lawyer wouldn't lie, and uh, there's a separation agreement the wife apparently signed, although it was done with a left hand while she was in a cast on a right hand. And then the, uh, the wife was oh, the, the imposter wife, was wearing a fuzzy pink bathrobe when the sheriff served her. Well, who, who made it so that the imposter was there? Uh, the husband had a girlfriend come in and into the husband and wife's home. Yeah. At a certain time when the wife was served and she pretended to be the wife and accepted the papers and never gave them to the wife. And ha- but then why was he surprised about the the check bouncing? I mean, did he know that the wife was spending all his money? Well, this is the the, the other one was uh, I mixed the two. The other one re- resolved itself. I never did find out why the wife had disappeared, but he used that premise as as the feisty pink bathrobe. What would happen if? An imposter accepted the papers, uh-huh. and then the imposter hired a lawyer and uh, signed a separation agreement. 
Oh, you mean to make it so that the man would be separated from his wife? The impossible. That's how he got separated from his wife. Yes. <laughs> and she she had love uh, love views in her eyes. I mean, she was a girlfriend and was going to see that he got divorced, <laughs> no matter what it took. Oh, that that's a riot. <laughs> and the fuzzy pink bathrobe comes into play. As you know, people are very suggestible. And by having the fuzzy pink bathrobe in the courtroom, the sheriff looked at the fuzzy pink bathrobe and says, I remember that bathrobe. And, uh, and I definitely served the person who was wearing that without paying too much attention to the characteristics of the woman they served. Uh-huh. Uh, you didn't facilitate this man pulling this fast one, did you? Uh, say again? <laughs> you didn't facilitate the husband uh, making this, pulling this fast one. No, no. I, I was representing the wife, and how was the wife going oh. to prove that she was never served? Oh, Especially okay. <laughs> when the okay. sheriff said he served her, and the lawyer said I represented her. I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> it's a complicated. Think, yes, I didn't think you would do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> like a very ethical person to me. Yeah. Um, okay. Tell we uh, uh, during the break. Um, I was asking JD if uh, what his experience has been over the years with psychiatrists and psychologists as expert witnesses or even as treating um, therapists. Because my experience is that they have been, uh, as time has gone by, and again, this is just, um, you know, obviously this is not all psychiatrists and psychologists, but what I've been finding is as time has gone by, that more and more of them, you know, these would be people who I would be opposing in cases, more and more of them are not doing um, sufficient work, are not spending the hours and doing uh, due diligence, you know, doing enough of a an evaluation of the person, reading all the records, all the things that you really need to do to make a solid case. And um, I mean, you know, it's good for me in a way because uh, it's easier to beat them. But um, but it just kind of bothers me, just the lack of professionalism. You, you know, I'd rather beat somebody on an even playing field than somebody who just doesn't do the work and shows up, phones it in. So you that brought you to, did you have something to say to that or that yeah make- I, I do one of my favorite examples of due diligence on the part of the mental health professional my client worked for the New York Times in New York City throwing bundles of newspapers out at two o'clock in the morning and he was involved in a legitimate custody dispute uh, we had the case sent to a forensic psychologist and my guy came out as an axe murderer (laughs) and i couldn't believe how my impression of him and the psychologist's report was so off center Mm -hmm. so i sent him to my psychiatrist my psychiatrist psychologist somebody who had confidence and he called me up and said uh, jd did you know that your client is illiterate? He cannot read 
and he went through the multiple choice questionnaire, guessing at every question. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was surprised because I figured that if he guessed at every question, it'd be balanced. You know, you get some right, <laughs> some wrong. But apparently, <laughs> it's not true. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's not really a, like a right or wrong. It's like all the aspects of your personality. So it could come out to be like that. But you would think that a psychiatrist or psychologist would be able to test or see or ask or find out that the person is illiterate, you know, before asking them to sit down and fill out these tests. Ah, so, okay. Tell us about the, you, you said you had another experience um, with a psychiatrist or psychologist in your case called the dog trainer. Yes. That was a, a case in which uh, the dad was, uh, not a high wage earner. He acted as a South in South Carolina as a janitor <clears throat> apartment complex. <clears throat> when the child was about two, the mother dropped the child off and said, "I want you to take him for a while. I'll be back." And he didn't. The mother didn't come back for two or three years. Meanwhile, the father was raising the child with his family who was down there and had a great relationship. And uh, they had also bought a puppy down there for the child. Well, the child was upset. The uh, dad said, I'm not going to turn over custody. And she says, I have a Connecticut court order that gives me custody. You better. So they involved the police and the police required her to get a court order in South Carolina, which she did. So she took the child up to Connecticut. When we got up to Connecticut, the judge at the first hearing, I asked that they be transferred to South Carolina where the child has lived. The judge says, well, sir, why didn't you move for custody when she dropped them off? And the father said, I didn't, I expected her to come back in a week or so. And then it just kept on being postponed. And I didn't think I had it. Well, the judge says, well, you should have known better. Uh, custody will remain with the mother until this thing is resolved. And I'm going to send it to a forensic psychiatrist and we'll see what happens. During this time, the mother was treating the child as a two-year-old as opposed to a, a five-year-old. The child would say, would go into the bathroom and said, Mom, I've got to go to the bathroom. Mom would rush in and pull down the pants. And then the child would say, Mom, I'm done. She'd rush in and pull up the pants. When they went to a mall, they'd get a stroller and the kid would be <laughs> strolling at five years of age. I mean, totally inappropriate. So anyway, the mother decided the child needed a dog. So she got a dog. And the dog was not trained, so she wanted to have the dog trained. So she asked her friends to take the dog to a, a, a trainer. And the trainer took the position, absolutely not. Training a dog is training the person. It has to be both. The dog has to be able to respond to the person. The person has to be able to respond to the dog. And no substitutions. So the mother eventually took the child, I mean, the dog to the dog trainer. They'd have command sit, walk, and turn. 
and I always turn with the dog on the outside. Well, she was always turning with a dog inside, and she's tripping over the leash and falling down and making a spectacle of herself. At the end of the session, she said, uh, there's something wrong with my dog. <laughs> and the dog trainer said, ma'am, <laughs> nothing wrong with your dog. <laughs> and the, the dog trainer was able to decide for $15, the cost of a session, what the psychologist was not able to decide after $5,000. <laughs> so that was the story of there the dog. There was something trainer. wrong with the mother, not the dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, um, I mean, you probably had hundreds of cases, I guess. Yes. Um, very interesting ones. You've had your share of, uh, of really fascinating ones. Well, we are coming to a close. Um, let's see. We have three minutes left. What? I'll, I'll give it to you. <laughs> what would you like to say in the final few minutes? Well, I, I wrote a book called How to Win Custody, and one of the things I pointed out, don't trust anyone. Don't trust your wife. Don't trust her lawyer. Don't trust your lawyer. Don't trust family relations. Don't trust the psychologist that's going to do an interview of you. In other words, don't trust anybody and think for yourself. Uh-huh. Well, that's very good advice because I think one of the things that you um, that I know you, you write about um, – and you inferred it, um, is how a lot of times in custody cases, every people have their own uh, prejudices in terms of, especially with psychiatrists and psychologists, there are some who think that it's always that the mother should have the children, others who think always the father should have the children. Same thing with judges. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. And then also, um, a really important thing is not to get child protective services involved unless it is a very desperate situation because that just complicates things. Child protective services, the social workers and all that have their predilections too. Sometimes they get on the mother's, the, most often the father is able to sweet talk the social workers, the female social workers in child protective services. And, it, and the case ends up going really bad, really wrong for the mother. Well, this has been fun. We are now out of time. Um, I would like to thank my guest, J.D. Mortmain. Again, the book is called The Fuzzy Pink Bathrobe and Other Tales of the Law. And clearly, uh, you, your interest must have been piqued enough to want to read about the other cases, I, I hope. <laughs> yes. So, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.